Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good morning. If you'll go ahead and open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2. We will be doing another lesson in our yearly theme where we try to talk about what it means to be continually devoted. Continually devoted. You'll probably remember that that is based off of that verse in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching to, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we are spending a few months working on what it means to be continually devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And we'll be continuing on with those thoughts today. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, I look around and you know what I see? Family. Uh, and that's always a wonderful thing. Uh, it is always nice to be able to gather together and, and be with people you love and be with people who love the God you love. And uh, hopefully we've been able to express that today in our worship and in our prayers and our remembering of what Jesus has done for us. But let's go ahead and dig into the lesson for today and talking about being continually devoted. Uh, here at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, you've got the story of the beginning of the church. At least that's how we commonly refer to it. Uh, you've got the choosing of the apostle, and we are, of course, going through the book of Acts on Sunday nights, uh, or at least every other Sunday night, and we'll be continuing that this evening uh, but we studied last week in Acts chapter 2, that beginning of the church where they had the Holy Spirit come on them in, in a more powerful way than they have experienced in the past, and they were able to speak in tongues, and they preached that great convicting and honestly a, a bit of a confrontational sermon there in Acts chapter 2, and as a result of that sermon, we know 3,000 were baptized. And I love the description of the church here from Acts chapter 2 because and it is in its most pure and unchanged form, this is what the church originally was. When they were baptized, when they band together as a group of believers, these were the things they were devoted to. They were devoted to hearing what the apostles were teaching. They were devoted to that time, that, that unity, that community that they shared together, to the worship of their Savior who made all things possible, and they were devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 2 is just a, a honestly, a, a convicting passage for me. Because oftentimes I look at Acts chapter 2, and what I see is not necessarily what we are today. I'm not saying that what we do today is wrong, but it is honestly a bit more complicated than what you have here in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you got a group of people who are new believers. They've come to realize that Jesus is their Savior, and they are excited and enthusiastic about serving that Jesus and sharing the message of that Jesus with the world around them. That's about it. 
They're, they're not the complications of church buildings. There are no complications of, honestly, church treasuries at this point. They just gather money together and take care of one another's needs. You don't have any complications regarding uh, a lot of personality conflict, any, any difficulty in choosing leadership. At this point, the church is just simply Christians banding together. And that sort of simplicity is, I don't know about you, but it, it, I covet that. I desire that kind of simplicity because there is something comforting about just being Christians and doing that together. I love that everything is so simple. It's simple even over in the passage like what David read this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Things have progressed quite a bit. Uh, Things have changed some. There's been the opening of the door to the Gentiles at this point. The church has spread from its little hub there in Jerusalem into Samaria and then other into the uttermost parts of the world. You've got Paul who has traveled around and he has brought together Christians in different places and established churches and elderships and all sorts of things as the church has grown and changed over the course of those decades. And Paul speaking to Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 tells him, command and teach these things. Verse 12, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Until I come, here's what I want you to focus on. Focus on public reading. Spend some time making sure that you do the job of exhorting one another and make sure you're teaching. These three words, reading, exhortation, and teaching, I I have always, for whatever the reason, understood them as verbs. And they're not. They're nouns. Uh, Looking back at at the language and kind of doing some research on the passage itself, it Spend some time reading, giving attention to the reading, giving attention to what is read among the group. Spend some time giving attention to the exhortation, the encouragement and the comfort that is being shared among you. Give some attention to the doctrine and the instruction that are being shared among you. Pay attention to those things. Isn't that simple? Isn't that simple? I I mean, the church is honestly just so simple from Scripture. And and that idea, I, I would even go so far as to say that what's being said here. Paul is saying, give attention to the exhortation that comes from 
the public reading. Give attention to the teaching that comes from the public reading. And I think the assumption here is scripture. And that's supported in other scriptures. Acts chapter 15 and verse 31 Acts chapter 15, verse 31, after that Jerusalem council where they've gathered together to solve the issue of whether Gentiles would need to be circumcised, it says in verse 31, when they read it, this letter that came from the leaders there in Jerusalem came from the apostles, when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They recognized that the the reading that they were receiving from these church leaders was a source of encouragement. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. And so again, that reading, that, that revealing of God's truth was a source of encouragement. It was a source of strengthening. It was a source of consolation. And I don't think it's hard for us to understand how God's word can be a source of teaching. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Uh, If you look a little bit later in our passage there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's again says, verse 16, pay pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so there's value, I think, according to Scripture, in hearing the Word of God read. And experiencing the truth and and opening your ears and paying attention to the word of God. But I'm not sure how many of us necessarily agree with that. Now, we see plenty of value in us going home and opening up the word of God and sitting there and reading it and studying it and maybe even opening up a few commentaries and articles and, and spending time, but... I can't tell you how many times I have heard preachers do the experiment of just getting up and reading and the backlash they get from that. I'm not even brave enough to try it, to be honest, because I have seen so many preachers get just lambasted getting up and just reading the word of God. Where they got up and and instead of delivering the typical sermon, they got up and they just read the book of Philippians as as an entire letter. And, and, And honestly, in the way that the early Christian probably would have heard it, we have of breaking it up into all of these pieces, these these chapters or paragraphs or even verses, and then we study it phrase by phrase, and we look at the the possible different meanings of this word and that word, and we really tear it down and break it apart, and I don't know that they would have done that. First of all, they wouldn't have needed to do that because they understood the language in a way that we don't understand it. We are studying a translation 
not studying the original language as first language hearers. But why isn't it that we don't value doing that? Why is it that we don't want someone to get up and read? I I really appreciated Larry's Lord's Supper talk today because the bulk of it was a reading. And I I closed my eyes while sitting over there in the pews carefully because I woke up at five this morning and I might have fallen asleep. But I closed my eyes and I just, because I knew I was about to preach this, so I had a leg up on all the rest of you. I knew exactly what was about to come out of my mouth. But I, I closed my eyes and I just listened intently to what Larry was reading. The story of the crucifixion. The details that were included in the the different ideas that were presented in that reading that he gave of the crucifixion. And, And to be able to just sit there and listen to the words God intended for me to hear That's valuable. Hearing the word of God read should be a source of encouragement and strengthening and consolation to you and me. And I I think sometimes we've lost the value of that. The truth is public readings of scripture were a necessary component of the early church. Because many of those people were not literate. They, they didn't have the ability to sit down and, and, and walk up and see the scroll in which Paul had penned his letter and be able to sit there and pick apart every word of what Paul had written. They, they just weren't capable. They didn't have the educational training to be able to do that the way me and you do. And I think that's one reason we don't value public reading is because we are so capable of private readings. And so that's really where we put a lot of our emphasis. Not only that, but they didn't all have copies of Paul's letters. They most certainly didn't have copies of the Old Testament scriptures. They were not capable of actually sitting down and studying their Bible in the evening by lamplight because they didn't have lamplight. And so the public readings were a necessary part. Not only that, there were letters that were written not just for one place. If you look over in Colossians chapter 4, It says Paul's instructions there were, verse 16, after this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church church of the Laodicean and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so a lot of the letters that were written were circulated around so they didn't just stay in one location. And maybe, maybe they hired somebody to come and, and scribe it out and make sure that they made copies of it before they sent it on to different locations. Maybe. That's not the way this is worded. You share this letter with Laodicea. Laodicea will share their letter with you. You need to read both of them. And notice the way Paul writes that is after 
the read after this has been read at your gathering. It was a regular practice. It was something they did often. This is the exact example you have over in Luke chapter 4, verse 20, where Jesus got up. He was a visiting rabbi, so he got up in the synagogue and he read a portion of the scriptures and the hearing of everybody. And then he sat down in that particular scripture. He, his response to it was, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that sparked quite a bit of controversy there. That was kind of the common idea of the way that they would do things. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that they would get up and they would read a scripture and they would sit and they would have a discussion of those scriptures. They would have a discussion, a, a kind of a free-for-all of, of different men. And on, on, oftentimes the older men would speak first and the younger men would defer to the older men's wisdom. But they would have a, a common discussion of the scriptures or of whatever letter was sent to them. That was the way that they would study together. Philo is, uh, once wrote, and will you sit in your conventicles and assemble your regular company and read in security your holy book, expounding any obscure point and in leisurely comfort discussing at length your ancestral philosophy? That was his comment about the local church and the way that they would read publicly and then sit at leisure and discuss at length what was taught in those readings. Justin Martyr, an early Christian, said, and on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gathered together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. The president there uh, meaning somebody who presided over the worship assembly, not the American president as we think of that term. That's how they did it. That, that the way that they focused on their, on their reading, the way that they would discuss the word of God, is they would get up and they would read those things so that all could have hearing of it, and then they would come together and discuss it. That was kind of the regular practice of the early church. And I think you see that when you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to read verse 23 and following. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 says, If therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders and unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secret of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Notice in that description of an early church worship, it was not a single speaker, but it was all participating who were capable of participating, in this case, in regard to spiritual gifts. 
And so they would all gather together and they would all contribute to the knowledge base of what everybody had and they would discuss those things together. You read on in that same reading, what then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in another tongue, there are to be only one or two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophet since God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Do you see that? The description we have is not of single speakers, but it's many speakers speaking one at a time. Not everybody vying for attention. It's not everybody interrupting somebody else. It's none of the disorder or or the rudeness that comes with a crowd-like mentality. But it was a joint participation by many. So that the word of God would be discussed and understood and heard by all. That's not our current practice. Our current practice tends to be exactly what we've experienced week after week after week, which is one speaker. And and we have different men who jump up and participate in different ways, absolutely, and maybe that could be the parallel here. Some speak in tongues, some prophesy, some give Lord's Supper talks, some preach, right? Maybe, Maybe that's here. But it is interesting to me that we tend to be much more focused on more of a lecture-style delivery of God's Word as opposed to a joint participation in the hearing of God's Word. And we base that off of passages like Acts chapter 20 and, and, and that story there of Paul being in the upper room. He's come into town and he preaches to them until midnight, right? But is that really the right way to understand that passage? If you turn over there, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul, or, uh, uh, Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. We know, of course, the story Eutychus falls out the window. Uh, Paul goes down and raises him from the dead. Uh, they, uh, verse 10, but Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. Then he left. What's interesting to me is that the words used here don't necessarily mean Paul spoke to them. It could also mean Paul spoke with them. Do you see the difference there? But our practice has evolved away from that over time. Our practice honestly comes more from a Reformation style. If you think about it, back in the early church, they had no church buildings. 
They met where they could meet. Some Christians met in Acts chapter 2 in the temple. So maybe there was more of a formal setting in that, in that case. But we know in Acts chapter 12, they're meeting in homes. In Acts chapter 16, they're meeting at the riverside. We know according to tradition, they met many other places, including even crypts among the dead bodies. Because they would meet where they could meet. Justin Martyr on another occasion said, the prefect said, and where do you hold your meetings and celebrate the relevant services and teach those doctrines? The saint, Justin Martyr, replied, we Christians do not hold our assembly in a single place, as you think, prefect. We worship and praise him everywhere. The magistrate said, then where do you meet with these disciples of yours? Here in the city, replied the martyr, wherever evening chances to, uh, wherever evening chances to overtake us, and I instruct them in the word of truth that abides in me. Can you imagine how different we would have to, differently, we would have to conduct our services if we didn't have a nice building with padded pews all facing the same direction with a pulpit and a lectern up front, a microphone and sound system, air conditioning, plenty of lights. If what we had to do was send out an email on a Saturday night and said, hey, everybody meet at my house tomorrow, we've got room. And everybody shows up and we pull out chairs and we stick them wherever we can stick them. We might have some of the kids sitting on the floor and some of the older people sitting in the more comfortable chairs and some standing even behind the couch because that's the only place there really is. And we're all kind of sitting around in a living room to worship. How that might affect the way we do things. Or, or maybe not in a house. Maybe we're too big for that. So what we do is we meet down at the park and we try to get one of those pavilions, so in case it starts raining, or because it rained yesterday and at least it's dry under there. And so we all sit around and some of us are sitting at picnic tables and some of us have brought our own chairs and, 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 and we're not set up like this, but we're kind of all gathered together because that's what chance gave us. Would that change the way we do things? Probably. Probably would. Homes, according to archaeology, were rarely ever fitted for large groups. And the way they did it in the first century and even into the second century was they just gathered together as many as could in a home and then they would gather together as many as could in another home. And they would come together when they could come together and they would... Sometimes being groups when that's the best they could do. But they would, as Justin Martyr worded it, meet where chance or where evening gave them a chance to meet. Well, when the church became legal, homes started being renovated, upper rooms became larger, assembly areas were created. Do you know that it wasn't until the Reformation movement that there were seats available? I researched, when did we begin sitting in pews? We didn't begin sitting in pews until around the 16, 1700s. 
What we did before that was we stood and then we got down on our knees to pray. And it looked much more like what see in an Islamic mosque where they don't have pews. They have lines on the floor where people can line up side by side to get on their knees to bow their face to the ground the way we see it happen in Islam. The whole idea of us all sitting in rows, all looking at a lectern, is a fairly recent development. Just a few hundred years old. Does that make it wrong? No. Not my point at all. I'm not trying to disparage what we do, and I'm not trying to say we need to go back to having no pews. I'm not trying to say we need to go back to having no buildings. I'm not trying to say we should quit reading at home and act like we're illiterate so that we can be just like the first century Christian and let the few actually get up and read for us and that be our only exposure to the apostles' doctrine. None of that is my point. My point is we need to be, make sure that we're not tied to our traditions as if they are the only right way. And we need to ask ourselves a very honest question. Is the way that we do things the best way to display a continual devotedness to the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer? The question I ask myself when I study things like this is this. Have we lost something we shouldn't have lost? Or maybe worded a different way, is there something we can change that would bring us back to the focus of the early church, where they were so continually devoted to one another in fellowship, to their God in the breaking of bread, or to their Savior in the breaking of bread, and to their God in both the doctrines and prayers? Is there more that we can do to be more of what God intended us to be? The answer might be no. The answer might be we do the best that we can do. And if that's the case, God be glorified for that. But if the answer is yes, maybe we should try this. It's scriptural. It always has to be scriptural and it could be productive, then maybe that's a good thing for us to try. Good thing for us to think about. We need to be placing our focus back on the very simple devotion that the early church had, which is the apostle doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And I I tell you, I, I am amazed over and over and over again how easy it is to pull our focus away from those things. How easy it is to get focused on a building. How easy it is to get focused on worship styles. How easy it is to get focused on all of the extras that come along with being a modern day Christian in a modern day church. And how simple it was to be a Christian back then. I don't mean easy, but I do mean simple. When you've only really got four things to focus on, that's simple. 
maybe that's something that we should be searching to get back to. I think we as Christians need to spend more time hearing God's word. Not hearing someone talk about God's word. And I think everybody in here says a hearty amen. We don't need longer sermons. I, I, I get that. I, I don't mean that we need to necessarily have more sermon. I think we need to get back to hearing more of God's word. We can do that privately and we can do that publicly. I tell people all the time they need to have, since we are such a digital culture these days, you need to have something on your phone that will read the Bible to you and you need to listen to it regularly. That is so Simple for us to do these days. Why wouldn't we take advantage of that? And I, I can't tell you how many of y'all when, when we went through the book of Revelation, um, what, about a year ago? And one of the things I encouraged you to do was listen to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation says there is a blessing for those who hear this message. And so I encourage you to hear, don't read it, listen to it. So many of you came to me and said, well, I've never done that before, and it was amazing. There is value in hearing something and then in discussing it and being encouraged by it and learning the doctrine that comes from it. I think we need to realize that there is value just in hearing and discussing the Word of God. And I hope we never stop doing that. I hope that's something that is ingrained in us, a desire to do that, to open up the Word of God, to hear it read, and then to talk about it. What a blessing that is. I looked up, and there's a lot of articles about this, about the value of hearing, reading. And a lot of times they deal with children, reading to children, and the value of children hearing stories and listening to stories and the lessons and things that they learn from that. But I, I took some from those that apply to us as adults hearing the word of God. One of the benefits is sharpens your focus. It sharpens your focus. It allows you to really center in on thinking only about what you're hearing. I, I don't know about you, but my mind wonders when I read. Does anybody else have that problem? where I'm reading and then I realize, wait, I'm supposed to be reading. And I start having this argument in my head about what was I reading? Do, do I remember? And then I have to start looking back and I'm like, okay, I know I read from here to here, but I don't remember anything until I get way back. And now I feel like I've got to start over and read the whole thing again. Okay, anybody else have that trouble? Let me tell you the simple way to fix that. Read while listening. Backwards? I don't know if that's backwards or not. Here we go. I don't think I can put it backwards on the same. So, read while listening. We do that with our kids when they're early readers because it's good for them to, to force their eyes to follow along on a page while they're listening to it come into their ears and it makes all the connections that need to be made in your brain. I tell you, if you really struggle with focusing in on the text that you're reading, download one of those apps, turn it to Galatians chapter 1, open your Bible to Galatians chapter 1, and read and listen at the same time. 
it'll make a world of difference in helping you focus. It is amazing how that will deepen your understanding and your worship that results from reading the Word of God. I encourage you to do that. You'll find that as you read or as you listen to the Word of God, it will challenge your current understanding. And here's why everybody reads differently. Not only do they read differently, they inflect different words. They, they, they stress different ideas from the reading and the way that they read it, and it will cause different aspects of the passage to stand out to you than would ever have stood out to you with you reading silently in your head. Hearing the Word of God read from different people always challenges the way you understand something. And I think that's valuable. It results in greater comprehension. Uh, part, part of this, it's hard for me to teach this because I know not everybody is like me. I am an auditory learner. I learned in college to quit taking notes. I know that sounds horrible and awful, and I don't advise that for any of our young people here in school. But for me, it worked. I'm an auditory learner, and if I could, I, I would find myself getting lost in what I was written and not hearing a thing that was being said because I couldn't do both at the same time, and I couldn't write fast enough to keep up with what the professor was saying. And so I learned to put my pencil down and to just sit and listen intently. I learned that I could pass every test just by listening. And when I tried to take and study copious notes, I never passed anything. It was a huge revelation for me, and it helped me a lot. And I know not everybody is like that, and I understand that. But I am convinced that everybody listens better than they think they do. And everybody comprehends better than they think they do off of their listening. Let me give you a for instance. I want to practice this. We'll, we'll come back to build community and unity in a moment. I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture. And this is over in Galatians chapter 3, but I'm going to encourage you not to turn to it yet. Okay? Well, I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it from two different translations of the Bible. I'm going to read it from a simpler one first. And then I want us to turn to the passage and read it together. Okay? Here it is. Until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic Law. The law was like those Greek tutors with which you are familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place they are set out for. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in adult faith wardrobe, Christ life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to the covenant promise. Now, turn with me over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. The passage I read while you turn was from a, a paraphrase or a translation called The Message. And it's one of my favorite passages out of the message because the message takes some liberties, but in some places it does a great job of explaining things accurately. And this is one of those places where it does that. Galatians chapter 3, and I want to read verse 23 down through 29. That, that's what I just read from the message. It says, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which is later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. I don't know if that made a difference for you. And I honestly think it's something that we have to learn to do again, learn to listen well. It's not a natural talent for most of us. Most of us are out of the habit of listening. Uh, we're more in the habit of responding. And so we listen just enough to create a response or create a thought, and then we quit listening. But I think there's value and doing that. And getting up and reading a passage of Scripture and hearing. And, I, and I'm fine with us all opening up and reading along with the reader. Uh, I love that we all have different translations of the Bible. So if I'm up here reading from the Christian Standard Bible, which is typically what I use, and when I first moved here, so many of you came up to me and go, what in the world are you reading? And you wanted to know what I was reading because you wanted to match your reading up to my reading. And that's perfectly fine. I think there's value in reading different translations. Because what I'm going to do is as somebody's reading to me, I'm going to go, oh, well, my, word, my word's different there. Or mine says it this way. And it takes us down these little mental rabbit holes that, uh, that I think are healthy. But I think there's benefit in us doing that. Learning to listen and listen deeply and critically and carefully and thinking about the things we're hearing because it allows us to to in a lot of ways build community and unity in ways that we don't get studying on our own i love to discuss god's words with people i love it i love to discuss people who have different ideas than i do and hear their ideas and be challenged by their ideas and to go back and study things fresh in ways that I've not studied them before. But I love that when we do that together, what we do is we, we discuss and we go, okay, I've not thought of that before. And then we come to agreement on things and unity and they create this sense of dependency and community in God's people. And I don't think we get when we only study alone. 
I don't think we get that when all we do is read the word of God at home and, and that's it. I think it's good for us to discuss and learn. You know, our goal should be to understand more of God's truth. Isn't that our goal? Don't you think that was the goal of the early church? They wanted to know more. That's why they were willing to leave jobs and homes behind and stay in Jerusalem. They wanted to know more. How about you and me? Do we want to know more? Do, do we desire to dig deeper? Do we desire to, to know more of not just what we know, but what other people around us know? Sam White and I were talking the other day about uh, the, this idea of learning more about your brethren through learning more about what they think about Scripture. It's amazing. I, I tell you, I, I've learned more about people in two settings. One is being in their home. You learn a lot about somebody from being in their home. What pictures they put up, what things they like, what things they don't like. You, you learn a lot about people that way. You know the other place you learn a lot about people? Discussing the Word of God. There is something about it that creates a relationship that is deeper than any other relationship. I, I, I don't know about you, but the people that I am closest to in this world are the people that love, or that I love to discuss the Bible with. And because there's just that, they're the ones I go to when I have questions or when I want to think about something more deeply or think about something from a different angle. And, and I just, I grow in a deeper relationship with them because of that. When we discuss and hear God's word, we're challenged and exhorted and encouraged and it allows us to prod one another and push one another. I love when we, if we were to sit down and discuss something that had some moral truth in it, like stop complaining. That's a moral truth. That is a moral mandate given to us by God in the New Testament. Do not complain. I love that if we sat down and discussed that, we could figure out all the ways we struggle with that. We could hear how other people have overcome that temptations in certain areas of their life. And then if I'm struggling with it, I could in that discussion say, hey guys, I really struggle with this. Can y'all call me this week and hold me accountable? Wouldn't that be great? To have that sort of relationship with a group of people who are willing to step into your life and prod you to be better push you along toward heaven. You get that when you hear the word of God together. It allows us to grow in our unity and our commitment to God and commitment to each other. And it allows us to accomplish, accomplish God's will in God's way. There's value in hearing the word of God. You want to know why Paul told Timothy Give attention to the public reading. And some of your versions add in there of Scripture. Give attention to the public readings. The reason that was important is because it was part of the bedrock of being in the church. It was a bedrock part. It was a foundational part of being a Christian in those early centuries. And I'm convinced that it never should have stopped 
being a bedrock. Because the benefits that God gives us through hearing the word of God together are so many. And they are so needed even in God's church today. It's a great opportunity he gives us to hear his word and to grow in it and to be strengthened by it and encouraged by it and even consoled by it. All that comes from being devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And I hope that's something we will devote ourselves to as his people. But it's not just about hearing it, it's also about obeying it. And one of the very first things that every person is told when we read through the book of Acts, they're told you need to be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away so that you might walk in newness of life, so that you might belong to his kingdom, so that you might be part of his family. That's, that's the beginning point. And I hope if you've not done that, today's a good day and you'll choose to do so. It's a great opportunity he gives us to belong to him and to have hope and joy. And if you need the invitation to get your life right, to become a child of God, to have those sins washed away, please let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.